You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Trust the process. So a lot has been happening in the world of international footy, and we know that uh, yeah, a certain sect of our listeners do enjoy them, some international footy, and maybe we aren't the most knowledgeable or the best people to talk about it. So once again, we've reached out to our resident footy expert, uh, Mike Halford, at MikeHalford604 on Twitter, co-host of Halford & Bruff on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good. Halford & Bruff. It's a soccer show. That's the new tagline. <laughs> You're here for it is a soccer show, uh, Mike. I am a newborn soccer baby, and I need to be swaddled. Uh, I need some explaining and just getting me a bit more hyped. Now I'm super hyped after the last couple of days. Now you came on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you educated me on the dark arts of Concacaf. Got me very excited for more uh, men's soccer action for Team Canada. And then a couple months went by before they played again, and I kind of forgot about everything. Uh, Why is this process dragged out so long? Okay, well, part of it has to do with uh, COVID throwing the entire international window 
into arrears. It's usually a little bit more spaced out, but because so many things got pushed back, like the, the international calendar, it takes a long time to get all the teams qualified for a World Cup. You have to have your regular confederational playdowns, which is which Canada is right in the middle of now with CONCACAF. You have to have your uh, internet intercontinental ones where the the sort of quote-unquote wild card qualifiers so like the fourth place finisher in CONCACAF will go and play uh, New Zealand presumably will come out of the Oceania region so all that needs to take place in very structured times and they just were short on time because one they had redone a lot of how the qualification worked and two as I mentioned COVID really threw the thing into a rear so you had a window like this one that just finished where Canada had to go to Honduras and then three days later, fly back up to Toronto and then go to Hamilton to play the U.S. and then jump on a plane again and go back to Central America to take on El Salvador. It's grueling. It's all part of the process. Traditionally, it has been a tough slog, but this one has been made really more difficult because of all the COVID-19 issues and the condensed schedule. Yeah, people complain about the Canucks travel sometimes, but I couldn't believe it. Yeah, they're going Central America, back up to Canada, back to Central America. Uh, yeah, Um my one of my first questions for you they did play the US in Hamilton that was something we talked about at length where that game was going to be mm-hmm. last time you were on the show uh who got rid of the snow in Hamilton that was such an awesome <laughs> aesthetic from the previous game and I wanted that to be a real international thing and a real team Canada thing you score a goal you jump in a snowbank uh what the hell happened there yeah they should have at very least ported some in I can confirm I had a, a guy that actually plays on my team he went back east for the game and he said it was it still had the bitter cold it was minus 11 with the wind chill so he said like at least you got the ice teca experience in terms of being frozen to the point where you can't feel your experience I was like, oh, that's nice. I'm glad you got to experience that. But that's that's Canada's. It's funny. You talk about the dark arts of CONCACAF. So that's Canada's thing now is that they're going to put all their uh, opponents that they think they can gain a competitive advantage over in really adverse conditions. I don't know if you saw what happened last night with the U.S. and Honduras. But the U.S. tried to do that as well. They engaged in the dark arts. And they actually hosted that game in Minnesota. Where it was approximately minus like ninety seven, like it's it gross. was. Yeah, it yeah. was right. It was right. It was some sort of Star Wars thing that I don't really understand because I don't watch movies. But it oh, was, was it cold. Hoth. I it know was Star yes, Wars. The Hoth. Right, cool. Yes. Okay. The Hoth. Yes. yes. That if you was need the to one. know Star Wars, we can do this whole thing again and flip our uh, flip our roles, <laughs> and I'll help you out when we do the Star Wars version of this. This will be good. We'll. we'll but uh, so uh, as far as I understood it, um, it was cold to the point where two hundred players had to be treated for hypothermia. At halftime. Now, <laughs> oh, you know, as we, I'm going way too far down this dark arts road, but what the hell? We're already on the topic. Um, a lot of people were saying, like, you almost, the U.S. almost went overboard. Like, they didn't necessarily need this level of competitive advantage because, quite frankly, they're better than Honduras and they were expected to win anyway. It just made, yeah. it was more uh, unnecessary theatrics and theater. And I kind of started thinking about that. I'm like, well, that's going to be interesting for Canada moving forward because they have one home match left, and it's going to be against Jamaica in the March window. And are they going to stick with this, oh, we're going to do everything with the sort of like caginess and craftiness of trying to gain whatever edge we can? Or are they just going to put it where maybe we'll make it a celebratory thing because they're going to go to the World Cup now. I mean, they're, they're, they're there. They've got the points. So I'm fascinated to see what dark arts bleed over into the final window. 
Now, is there any like international rivalries? Like, has Honduras ever done anything to America where America's like, okay, you know what? Well, last time we went down there to play, uh, we had all this nonsense go on. So let's put them in Minnesota in the middle of the winter. Are there any like international rivalries of significance? Not, in not, the be- not necessarily between the like Canada, U.S. and Mexico is a big one. Although uh, it's hard to call it a rivalry because the Mexico's had such a competitive. Uh, dominance right like yeah the u.s is not on mexico's level in terms of historic accomplishments and the num- number of world cups but they are probably the biggest rivalry in the region what you're talking about is more like everyone has their petty beefs and perceived slights that they carry with them forever so greg berhalter the u.s manager his response to criticisms about playing the game in minnesota is like well we don't complain when we got to go down and play in central america in 100 percent humidity in the middle of the day in the blazing heat like that's just part of the game right yeah and i think that but their issues with honduras doing that are the same ones that they have with el salvador panama costa rica so it's not really about the individual countries having rivalries with one another it's just like everyone's out to screw everybody so let's make sure that you know as a competitive nation we do our fair share of the screwing oh this is something starting to be something i can really get behind yes with all the interworkings and all that that's great uh now uh Canada beat the U.S. Uh, earlier this week uh, in Hamilton. Now, I saw yesterday there was a bunch of chatter about a forfeit happening somewhere uh, and Canada getting three points by default. Uh, was there actually a forfeit or did that not go down? Well, that was supposed to be the El Salvador match on on uh, Tuesday, sorry, Wednesday night, yeah. where I guess about five hours before kickoff, the El Salvadorian players sort of like, I guess, an unofficial players' union release said we are going to postpone or, you know, boycott this match because we're not being paid our bonuses. And then now, work with me here. I got a roughly translated version of the Spanish release, which basically, when it got into detail, said that they were also alleging that they had gone into Columbus to play the U.S. in also cold temperatures earlier in this window. Uh, they they bought a bunch of cold weather gear to play on the field and hadn't been properly reimbursed for it. Like that was the level of we're getting screwed over by our federation stuff that was happening that led to the this breaking point almost where they they said they weren't going to go forward and play the match, but they got resolved rather quickly right before the uh, El Salvadorian Soccer Federation was going to hold the press conference to address it. The players then said, "No, we're going to play." So I'm assuming that some. Uh, level of amendment was made, but I, I don't I don't know what. All I know is that for a couple hours there, it did seem as though there was the potential that they would forfeit the match and Canada would get all three points without having to step on the pitch. Oh uh, yeah, they just want their money for their Gore-Tex jackets and their uh, their goalie sweatpants. Arc'teryx jackets are expensive, as far as I understand it. I, I'm are. not from the I'm not from the North Shore, but I know everyone that lives over there has one, and I assume they're expensive. They are. I remember years ago, my brother uh, was in an incident and stuff and then had to go to the hospital and they needed to cut off his like Arc'teryx jacket, didn't survive. And that was something he was really, really, really bummed about. So at that point, I learned how expensive those things are. Take my leg, but leave the jacket. (laughs) Leave the jacket alone. I just bought that. Uh, Now, a lot of Canada's recent success during this window, you call it? It's a window? That's what they're called. Yeah, the, okay. the the international breaks are windows where they try and cram in as many games into a five or seven day window as they can. 
Right. Okay. Now, this current window did not feature the big star of uh, Team Canada, Alfonso Davies. Uh, now, he's the bandwagon attraction uh, on the team. Who else on the team is stepping up and being a real impact player for the casual fan? I mean, we talked about it today on the show a lot and what Jonathan David's done in this window especially. Uh, finally showed what he's been doing with uh, Lille in the French League, and that's the the kind of finish where you don't need to have more than one or two chances to find the back of the net. And the goal that he scored against Honduras, and that was on the long ball over the top at the end of the match where it went head, chest, lobbed the keeper. Uh, he covered about 40 or 50 yards of space and three touches and finished, and that's what we've seen in the French League is just the ability to take a half chance and then convert it no problem. And then we saw it at the end of the El Salvador match as well. I mean, he's a goal scorer, pure and simple, and that's what he does. He's not as dynamic, and I I mean, no one has the physical gifts that Alfonso Davies has. He's one of the fastest players on the planet, but that's not to say Jonathan David doesn't have those. He's very quick. He's very elusive. The ability to score impactful goals, meaningful goals, um, and to do it without having eight or ten chances is what makes him such a special player. I know the U.S. was kind of saying, well, that's what Canada's all about, is they can soak up a lot of pressure and give you a lot of possession because all they need is a quick strike ability and a counterattack because they've got guys like David and Kyle Lahren's another one who's done a really good job of stepping in and scoring without having a boatload of chances to do it. So David's been great. I mean, he was always the second most high-profile guy on the team behind Alfonso Davies, but we talked about it today in a weird way. Maybe Davies' absence helps David because then he really becomes the guy that they're leaning on, and he takes that role, he takes that mantle, and he ran with it. He was unbelievable through the three matches where they got all nine points. Now, here on Trust the Process, we're not superstars ourselves, operating just outside the top five. Right. Uh, we're also not a, a show that celebrates superstars when it comes to the Canucks yeah Pedersen great Miller great we're more about the Luke Shens yes. of the world uh so we're about the boys so who on Team Canada isn't necessarily a superstar but would qualify as like oh that guy's a boy he's an underrated guy doing great work not getting a ton of the glory who is the boy of Team Canada Take your pick of any guy that pay, plays on that back line specifically the guys that have been rotating in through center back because the Strengths of this team going into this World Cup qualifying cycle where they've got a world-class goalie in Milian Borjan, who's been great. And then, of course, up front, David, Davies, Laren. They had superstar potential in Davies. They had very good players in Laren and David. And everyone knew that they were going to score goals because when they were thrashing Aruba and the Netherlands Antilles and the Cayman Islands and Cuba, they were scoring six, seven, eight goals a game. The question was going to be when they got to play the U.S. and the Mexicos and the other high-profile teams in CONCACAF, would they be able to keep the ball out of their net? Would they be able to limit scoring chances? Because the back line, and I'm talking, when you're talking about the guys, the guys are Alistair Johnson, Steven Vittoria, Kamal Miller, guys that didn't have a high profile, guys that were thought to be the weak links of the team. And Canada's, they, this window alone, three consecutive clean sheets. Yeah, Borjan was great. They made a ton of saves, but not enough to where you were going to ever chastise the backs for giving up too much. I mean, the first save that Borjan made against El Salvador last night 
was in the 90th minute. Mm. They went 89 without getting a single chance on goal, and that speaks to the depth that they had. And last night, when they were playing in El Salvador, they were down to Daniil Henry, former Vancouver Whitecap, who doesn't even have a team right now. He's playing for unattached FC. He does not have a club. He kept he he came in. It was choppy at times. It wasn't pretty, but at the end of the night, he plays 90 minutes, and that team has a clean sheet, so that's a feather in his cap. So all those guys, I say, if you're looking for the Shens, the dudes, the guys, yeah. Alistair Johnson, um, Richie Larea, you could throw in that mix as well, Kamal Miller, Stephen Vittoria, uh, Kennedy, uh, Henry, all the backs deserve full credit for that. All right, awesome. All right, plenty to choose from. I'm excited to uh, do some more research. Uh, now, what's next for Team Canada? Because they're not in yet. They're on the precipice. Would you say there's like a 99% chance that they're going to the World Cup now? 99.9, maybe 99.8. I mean, yeah. Here they've already, they've already clinched that fourth spot, which means you don't get the automatic berth to the World Cup, but you can go into the Intercontinental Qualifier, which I think is going to be against New Zealand. But I don't think Canada's anywhere near that. There's nothing to suggest that they're going to fall off because, again, I want to reiterate this, they have not lost a single game. So you would have to say that they would have to do something that they haven't done through the entire window, which is crash and burn and lose. Um, right now, I think they understand that there's so much more to play for because the higher you finish in the table, the higher your FIFA ranking is, the better draw you get at the World Cup. So Canada could be put into – it's broken into four pots, really. Uh, pot one is the really good team. I'm, I'm going to break this down like real layman's. Go thing. nuts, man. Go nuts. It is real simplistic, but pot one is the really good team's – Pot two is the good teams. Pot three is the okay teams. And then pot four is the minnows, right? The minnows is like the Qatar, for example, who's hosting. They're going to be expected to go in, not win a match, be the worst team in the group. If Canada can get out of that pot and get into the okay teams one, they have a real chance of going and being expected to be competitive and maybe win a, a match at the World Cup, which would be amazing because they've never done it before. So that's all still to play for. The, you know, uh, the, the home match against Jamaica, the last home match that they'll have, sounds like that's going to go to Toronto. So I think Vancouver fans might get screwed over again. Oh. And then they've got away matches in Costa Rica and Panama, which will be tough because Costa Rica and Panama are both fighting for their lives just to survive. So it may be that one of those matches is the one where it's a banana peel and Canada slips up a bit. But they're in. I think the goals will be clear. Finish as high as you can and get that best seating for the World Cup and then have a huge celebration when it becomes official. Yeah, a lot of my knowledge of international soccer rankings boils down to FIFA 94 on the Sega yeah, Genesis a big one. and Road to the World Cup 98 uh, on the N64. Those were my big soccer games. And I, I remember Qatar was the worst team yes. in, uh, in those games, so I was surprised to see that they actually get to host a World Cup. But because you host, you get to go by default, right? Yes, you're an automatic berth when you host. And so in 2026, when it's supposed to be Canada, U.S., and Mexico doing the uh, three-host bid, yeah, uh, it's not confirmed yet, but it sounds more and more likely that all three will be given the automatic entries into the World Cup. But the field's going to expand then, too. It's going to be 48 teams at that point. Well, hasn't Canada pulled out of that? Are they back in now? Because I thought there was a lot of back and forth around that bid. They're one of the three hosts. It's just Vancouver was... Uh, removed as a host city so now ah, it's Edmonton, yeah. Edmonton and Toronto but yeah they're still in 
do you see that possibly changing? Like if that does get approved, Vancouver maybe want to circle back, or is that perhaps what's causing the fact that this last well, this last game being in uh, Hamilton makes sense for the dark arts? Yeah. Uh, but do you see that maybe playing a part into why Toronto will most likely get the Jamaica game? Is Canada is the Canadian Soccer Federation a bit miffed that Vancouver's kind of turned their back on them? Yeah, the theory's been floated, but I mean, at the end of the day, they want to make money. And I think everyone looks at BC Place, especially with these Canadian matches, and say, look, we understand that there's the competitive advantage that you get playing in certain places. And we understand that travel can be an issue. But if you're ever ever to get full capacity at BC Place, it just offers something that other places can't. And it's 55,000, maybe even 60 if they're able to expand properly for a match. And that's just a huge revenue generator. It's huge ticket sales. So I don't think that they're miffed to the point where they're ignoring Vancouver altogether, but there's a lot of different things at play uh, with regards to Vancouver as a destination, Vancouver as a market, as it pertains to the World Cup in 2026. I'm not sure. Um, I, I wouldn't rule anything out. It's four years away. And as we've seen in pandemic times, a lot can change over the course of never mind four years, just two years. So I don't know where it'll end up. I never rule anything out because. You know, working with international federations like FIFA, things can change. They always seem to be fluid situations. But as of right now, if you're going just by the book and just by what uh, information is out there, the only two cities are Edmonton and Toronto. Yeah. So if Canada does follow through on that 0.01% and they do qualify for the World Cup, mm. what then? Because I thought the World Cup was usually in the summer, but I took a look and saw it's going to be in like November, December. That's correct. Uh, in 2022. So what between, I think late March is when this next um, uh, leg is. Damn, I forgot what it was called. Window. When, yeah, there we go. Uh, late March is this next window. And then if they qualify for the World Cup between March and November, what then for Canada? What do they do? Uh, they will have a series of uh, international friendlies where they'll go up against. Uh, I've, I've seen rumblings on Twitter that Brazil might be interested in a tune-up match. Uh, a lot of the countries will end up doing that. They'll probably hold a couple of individual camps. There's always games that either get scheduled and there's like a, a flurry of international competitions. Um in CONCACAF and beyond that they could be in. But, I mean, the reality of it is um, the calendar gets flipped on its head because you're right, the World Cup's traditionally played in the summer. So what's going to happen is a lot of these players, when they go to the World Cup in Qatar, as opposed to being in an off-season, they'll be right in the middle of their domestic campaigns. So there might not be the necessary push to have a ton of international competitions or international friendlies because the players will be playing. But, of course, everyone's going to want to get their ducks in a row and they're going to want to have a little bit more familiarity playing with one another. So you'll see some friendlies go along. But it'll be, you're right, definitely not like the traditional schedule that we see where everything leads up to a Summer World Cup. This one goes from the end of November until the middle of December. And then Qatar is like south of the Aquarius. So it's going to be warm weather regardless for the World Cup, which is why they couldn't do it in the su- yeah, which is why they couldn't do it in the summer because it would have been un- unseasonably unbearably hot. Yeah. Uh, now moving locally, the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, can you give us an update on our uh, on our beloved coach here, uh, Vani? What's what's he been up to recently? 
Uh, well, they're still in the middle of their preseason. They are either en route or currently in San Diego for that leg where they'll play a bunch of exhibition games against local squads and sides, and then they'll come back. They've got their season opener at the end of February, and then the home opener, I believe, is against NYFC at the beginning of March. So everything is geared towards that. Uh, not a lot of movement aside from the big Max Crapo thing where they uh, they sent him to LAFC in a very, very big move that was com- caught a lot of people completely off guard and kind of left them without well they let completely left them without their MVP and their best player or whatever I'd say the last two or three years easily uh, it, it was a stunning move and they now turn it over to a really young guy in Thomas Hassall although Vanny has said that they'll go and get another goalie uh, to compliment him in net as well so it's an interesting time because there was so much heightened expectations and excitement about the great run they went on last year to make the playoffs that you kind of wanted all the gang to be back for a full season, and then you go and lose Cray Poe, who was your MVP. Uh, it's going to be the first real big challenge of Sartini's managerial career where he's dealt some serious adversity, uh, losing a guy like that and not having a replacement at the ready. So I'm very curious to see how our good friend Vanny deals with that. All right, and then the last thing I wanted to ask about, alluded to it earlier, Alfonso Davies has not been playing for Canada uh, he's injured. What is the extent of that injury, and will he be fine for the World Cup down the line? So he has myocarditis, which is a in heart inflammatory issue stemming from COVID. Uh, originally, the team said it was a mild case of it and that they were going to be monitoring, but essentially shutting him down until March. It sounded like today they just had uh, more news from uh, the manager saying that it might extend to April. They're going to be incredibly cautious with this because, one, he's pretty young. Two, it's a fairly serious condition. And three, they have so much invested in him that any rush to return could hamper what they see as a very, very, very long-term investment. I mean, they've signed him to an extension, I think, through 2025. But they envision him being a player at Bayern for an awfully long time because he's such a unique and special talent. So if they feel like there's any risk whatsoever, they'll just continue to keep him shut down, which means conceivably he could be out of the next window for Canada as well. Now, what we saw from a Canadian perspective is it's not the end of the world because they're in such a good position right now. They mostly don't, I don't want to say they don't need him, but they showed in this previous window with nine points from nine that they can get results without him. So I think all parties involved will be like, you know what, take whatever time you need, take whatever rest you need. The key right now is making sure that Davies is going to be available for when they go to Qatar uh, in the winter. And that's really the long-term projection. As for Bayern, they're just going to keep being as patient as possible. And all I can say and tell from reading the tea leaves is there's zero rush whatsoever to get him back. They're going to take every precaution precaution necessary to keep him healthy. All right, Mike, I, I came into this with a lot of curiosity, a lot of questions, a lot of stuff I didn't understand. And once again, you knocked it off the pitch as far as educating me in the ways of footy. Thank you, uh, Sensei Mike Halford. Uh, At Mike Halford 604 on Twitter, co-host of Halford & Bruff on Sportsnet 650. It's a soccer show now. Uh, Where can people find that show, Mike? Uh, Six to nine, nice, every morning, Sportsnet 650. (laughs) You can also download the podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. On the odd chance that people listening to this show (laughs) don't know about your show. Thank you for getting the word out. And thanks again for joining us on Trust the Process and educating me in all the ways of international footy. Anytime, bud. Cheers. Have a good one. Take care. Woo! Are we going to Qatar? We're going to Qatar!
right! <laughs>